I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk About Brand. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gritman, and I'm very excited to bring today's guest to you. Today's guest is Michelle Gomez. She is a diversity marketing consultant. She is a founder of the African American Marketing Association, and she's going to be talking to us today about inclusive branding. So without any further ado, let's bring on Michelle. Hello, Michelle. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. All right, so let's let's jump right into it. When we talk about inclusive marketing and inclusive branding, what do we mean by inclusive? So when we mention the word inclusive, it's really about making sure that your marketing has people of all back- backgrounds, right? All the diversity backgrounds um, incorporated into your marketing campaign, right? So, of course, we got race, culture, gender, sexual orientation. Um, those are the things that we can see on the surface. People with disabilities as well. Those are the things that we can see on the surface. So you want to make sure that you're including those types of people in your marketing campaign visually as well as contextually. Contextually. Can I talk? <laughs> as well as your content. Of, of course. Now, some people, some people do it wrong. Now, the most obvious way to fail at this is, of course, to have like only white people, only, you know, cisgender presenting men, <laughs> for example, or thin, beautiful white women. But there's a lot less obvious stuff to this than that. There's a lot less obvious stuff. There's a lot more important stuff than just like sticks and people of color in your imagery. So right. um, what are some of the kind of li- more insidious ways that people really experience a lack of representation? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest problems is people will feel like their marketing's diverse, but what happens is they're placing a stereotypical image within their campaign, right? So for example, I have this thing, and not just me, but we have the language of inclusion, right? So one thing that's really popular, uh, I worked with the company and they would say um, black, and, black and brown communities, right? So when we think of black and brown communities, we're thinking low income and then you're showing the ghetto, right? And it's like, come on now. Like you're everyone. Community. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like every black and brown person is not poverty stricken, right? Yeah. Well, so now I have this thing where we got to focus on content alignment. So you just can't put, you know, lack of a better word, like a lazy black person and be like, oh, we we're diverse. And it's like, no, we have to make sure that we're putting 
um, representation that looks good, you know, and not stereotypical and making sure that our content matches the visual. And of course, it's not just black people, right? Because that's right. that's the thing people's brains first go to. Like, are there any black people in the mix there? But there, there's all sorts of types of representation that I'm sure a lot of people are just not even realizing they're not doing. Yeah, of course. You know, uh, one thing I believe is becoming more popular is neurodiversity, people with disabilities. And even that can be tricky because we tend to default to the person in the wheelchair, right? And I think there's a, I don't want to misquote the statistic, but a lot of disabilities are not visible, right? So once again, how do you gauge that? Um, so That's it's such a, a conversation, especially in recent years. I feel like you didn't really yeah. hear about invisible invisible disabilities and things like that until until fairly recent times, which is ridiculous because it's always been a thing. Right. And, you know, the CDC considers cancer a disability. Right. And it's like, wow. And, you know, unfortunately, but if you think about all the people that have had cancer or that has overcome cancer, at one point they were disabled. And if you apply for jobs, you have to fill out the form. And it has all of these disabilities, like, you know, and a lot of these things, you would never know if someone had it because, you know, they're not crippled or in a wheelchair or, you know, things of that nature. A couple of things I've been seeing a lot more of recently from very mainstream brands are, are two particular types of inclusivity. One of them is LGBT families and LGBT couples, like not even highlighted, like they're gay, just, you know, any place you'd see a family situation. And then also body representation has all yeah. been, I don't yeah. know if that's something you deal with or not, because that, of course, is not something that is, you know, permanent and identity based in the same way that something like race would be. But um, would you be able to speak to that a little bit? The, those kinds yeah, of I mean, those that's, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's all important. And I try to be very well-rounded when I speak about diversity marketing and not just focus on, you know, race because I am a black woman. But yeah, it's like, how, once again, representation does matter. You know, I think if we take an example of um, Victoria's Secrets that has been in business 45, almost 50 years, and they just hit maybe $2 billion, $3 million mark in the past couple of years. But then you have Rihanna with Fenty Savage, who's been in existence for less than five years and hit the billion dollar mark very quickly, right? And the reason she was able to be so successful is because of body positivity. You know, she had women of all colors, shapes, sizes. She even had men in there. She had transgender. She, you name the representation, she had it, you know? And that's why people were able to flock to her. And at that time, I think 2017, 18, Victoria's Secrets, when they had their fashion show, they're like, we're, no, this is what we're known for. This is what we're sticking to. And they lost some of the market. And they slowly had a turnaround. And earlier this year, they had their first um, uh, model with Down syndrome. You know, that's incredible. That's something that people just don't think of because they're like, well, why does someone with Down syndrome need sexy lingerie? First of all, it doesn't have to be sexy, comfortable or bra. Right. Second of all, right. Not. And it brings people into an uncomfortable place they don't always want to think about, which is that people who they want to put in boxes. Mm -hmm. 
don't always exist in those boxes. Yeah. And and that's the thing. Like, I mean, obviously, Victoria's Secret has done a great job branding. So when we think about our undergarments, we do think of sexy, but it's everyday wear for the most part, right? <laughs> like, we all need these things. Like, everyone needs clothes, right? Even if you come to adaptive clothing, t-shirts, pants, like, everyone needs clothes, <laughs> You know, so how are you going to market your clothes? You just can't market it to, like like we said, um, cisgender white guys. Like, mm-hmm. everyone needs clothes. And people come in all shapes and sizes. And they need clothes. And as a plus-size woman, hopefully some cute, fashionable clothes. <laughs> right? You don't want to be wearing, you know, the very basic beige with, like, the token bow on it. <laughs> so you feel cute, you know? Yeah. It's- it, these things should be accessible to people. Product lines are an interesting thing that you're that you bring up. Um, first yeah. of all, Victoria's Secret and Fenty. I remember how dragged on Twitter Victoria's oh, Secret yeah. got when they posted their video about how they're for everyone now, and everyone was like, "But you made it boring. Look at Rihanna for how you can still be aspirational. You can still be yeah. sexy. You can still sell a fantasy. You can just sell a fantasy that's for everyone." Yeah. And, and, you know, men want to be sexy too. Like, yeah, (laughs) especially now, like the concept of men's clothing, women's clothing, do men need a bra? Not generally, but the fact is it doesn't change the fact that whatever else you wear and you want to be cute. Right. Yeah. Product lines are a really good point. And also there, there's a, if we're speaking about Rihanna, there's also makeup. I remember back in like the eighties, you know, unless you were a couple particular shades of beige you know you could you couldn't really get foundation that matched i know bobby brown the makeup artist made a big stir by by putting a little more diversity in there but fenty fenty yeah rihanna's just changing the game left and right yeah yeah a billionaire just (laughs) wow (laughs) i mean that's but i mean that's a good point which is that it's not just about the ads and the imagery that you're putting out there it's also about what you're actually offering so i'd love to actually um take the conversation there because i'm sure that there are some brands that maybe will slap some multicultural faces up on their imagery but then they're not actually walking the talk when it comes to um, their actual brand's reputation so yeah. can you speak to that to how brands can actually not just on the surface but genuinely serve all yeah, so I do feel like it starts with the internal to external approach, right? So internally, um, in this case, who do you have on your brand and marketing team, right? Um, who's the decision makers as well as the executors? Um, who's in the room discussing strategy for the most part? Because that's another thing that I think that's a real disconnect where we do have a lot of top level um possibly white folks that are creating the strategy. And of course there's black people on the team, but they're, you know, they're, they're getting direction, right? Yeah. They're they don't not empowered. Yeah. They're not in the room when the decisions are being made. They're not empowered to, you know, manage up necessarily, which is ridiculous yes. anyway, because yeah. Yes. Cause more importantly, like they're doing the work, but they don't know what the end result will be. And, this, and that creates a disconnect. I think, um, Bath and Body Works is a prime example of that um, for their Black History Month campaign earlier this year, right? 
Um, and I don't know all the nuances, but from what was exposed, that's my assumption. Um, the next what thing is... There? I'm not familiar with that story. What'd they do? Uh, so Bath and Body Works, I hope uh, that should be the right company. Um, January, the last week of January, January 28th, they released a press release of their um, Black History Month campaign. So they took some of their most popular candles and they changed the graphics. Uh, for the most part, you could say they were kente cloths. Um, some of the most common or popular African cloths. Um, and they designed that on their candles and they had specific scents. Um, and then they gave like $500,000 to the Urban League. But unfortunately, they received a lot of backlash um, because it was very stereotypical. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff with that. But um, I think there was a disconnect with strategy and team building in that process. That's my assumption. Um, but once you, done... sorry, go ahead. No, how, what could they have done better? Yeah, you know that's tricky. Um, because I do know they had hired a black graphic designer. Um, but he didn't speak up. He didn't get any exposure. Like he wasn't included in the campaign to say like, hey, this is what we did. Um, it was more of like you had a hunt for him. But once again, I would like to say they would have had a team of um, Black consultants, um, designers, strategists um, in the actual strategy session in like, okay, hey, what can we do? And this is something that should have been planned possibly in October, maybe, Um, September, October, go through the iterations. Um, At the same time, these companies, especially retail, they have data. Right. So if you look at your data, what what are the insights? What what's the demographic? You know, what what is going on? Right. Um, In order for you to form a solid strategy and then, you know, go from there. Um, It leads them astray, though, because sometimes brands, you know, when they're criticized for lack of diversity, lack of representation representation, lack of an expansive product line. A lot of times they say, well, these people don't buy from us. So, you know, it's a catch 22 of like, yeah, but what are you offering? You know, so what is the way to do that in a way that's not tokenizing and pandering, but that is genuinely bringing more people in? Well, what I say is people don't buy because they don't know. Like we already know if you market, you have to see it at least seven times before you even take interest to click, let alone buy. And it's possibly more now with the way we're inundated with content, right? So if your marketing is only going to white communities, of course, Black people are not going to buy. And there, there's two things, because it is a catch-22, because white America is still mainstream America. So there's an assumption that if we market it here, it's going to like kind of trinkle everywhere else. But that's not the case. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, one thing I became very familiar, I don't know if you remember, was it 2017, the fire festival? Oh, you remember the fire? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, there's two different social medias. Yeah. Because when there was no, I didn't know about the fire festival until the disaster happened. Until everyone was dragging it. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> And I just remember a lot of my peers, we were like, we never saw a promotion for this. And some of it can be, you know, black versus white. And some of it could be elite, elitist a little bit. So there's a couple of age too. That's why I didn't see it. I'm in my (laughs) forties. Yeah. So that's a good point. So there's a couple of different categories there. I'm, I'm heading towards 40 myself, but, um, it was like, there's really two different social medias, you know, going on or whatever. Um, so I, I always use this example in the sense that, you know, there is a white man that's making a great product and he's making uh, $10 million, right? And he's in San Diego on the boat living his best life. And that's good. But he doesn't realize he missed another $10 million because he did not market to communities of color, right? Because the message did not get to communities of color or just diverse populations as a whole. And one thing I encourage when I do trainings with agencies, I'm like, we already know how to do a target audience. So if your ideal client is a 35-year-old white man that's married with two kids and making 120000 that's fine. Let's take it a step further. Okay, what is that Black man doing? What is the Hispanic man doing? The person that is disabled, what are they doing? What can we tweak to our product to cater to those other demographics? Ah, but the catering to demographics is also where people screw up. That, as it, to go back to um, Bath and Body Works, I think they were like, well, what can we do to cater to this demographic? And it spilled over into being tokenizing into not actually helping the community that they're trying to appeal to at all so where can brands kind of get that level right where they're doing something different to appeal to a different community without pandering and being ridiculous about it right so once again you have to review your data Um, you may need to i always say do some social listening Uh, What's going on on Twitter? What's going on on these social media platforms? What's trending? Um, What are your competitors doing? Are they getting dragged? (laughs) You know, as a couple of that. Um, Surveys, focus groups. Uh, Once again, I think retail has it easy, but they have to put the work in, right? Um, They already have a location. So if you just have your employees, you train your employees like, okay, ask these questions to these people when they come in to buy candles. Boom, you know, there's something. But to assume that um, because, you know, Black people love watermelon, they love to eat watermelon, they want a watermelon scented candle. Like, that, <laughs> that's not necessarily true, right? What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My goodness. 
<laughs> you know, right. Come on. Just, just, just think a little harder. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's again, why having the right people at the table is important because to your point, you know, if you're looking at the data, you're looking at demographic information that is ultimately boiling people down to stereotypes, even white stereotypes, like just it's boiling people down to basic demographic information. And so having the right people in the room is how you know, no, 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 no. That's, that's offensive. Like the difference between stereotype and, you know, data. Um, it, how, how do you really, besides having the right, in addition to having the right people in the room, um, in a way that's not tokenizing, don't be like, hey, we need your advice on all the black things. Uh, yeah, what, are, what are some ways like, to ride that line and make sure that you're, you're doing the research, but then what you take out of it and what you put forth from it is not, you know, flattening an entire group. Yeah, so that is tricky. I will admit that because every person across the board, every person has a different experience, right? So, yes, I'm a black woman and I could speak on a general basis, but um there might be something that black people in LA do that I have no clue about, right? And if you're looking to market to that particular location, I'm not the person for you because I don't know that culture. Um, so that's why it is important to really figure out who is the right person on your team, because not any black person or not any diverse person will do. Um, they, it has to be specific to your need. Also, I'd imagine and I've heard this from people that a lot of times they get brought in as the token black person in the room, the token woman in the room, the token gay person in the room. And so on the one hand, you want to make sure that people of the of the group that you're trying to speak to are represented. But at the same time, you don't want to tokenize. So what are some ways also that companies can make sure they ride that line? They don't bring in someone who's not a white man and then just talk to them about that stuff. You know, how how can they make sure that they're not just tokenizing people and you know making them feel more othered in their efforts to be inclusive yeah that's a good question because you need to create safe spaces right so when you're bringing in diverse people you need to create safe spaces that's going to allow them to work efficiently but most importantly that's going to allow them to feel comfortable to speak up that way they can advocate for themselves um they can advocate on behalf of their community like um hey that's you know, that's not right. And here's why, you know, instead of doing this, can we do that? And I think people are only able to speak up when they feel like they are inclusive, included, right? Included in the process. And there is a safe space. Now, to that end, we've talked a lot about what people do wrong, how people mess up, how people maybe make efforts that might be right headed, but absolutely wrongly executed. What are some brands that are genuinely doing it right? And how do you see them doing it? Yeah, so uh, one company, one of my favorite companies is Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. And they're like, well, it's an ice cream company, right? But if you go to their website, they have some great articles and blog posts just about um, equal rights, um, mass incarceration, um, Black Lives Matter, Stop Asian Hate. And I think it's very dynamic and powerful for them because once again, although it's ice cream, you know where they stand on a lot of these issues, right? And this embedded, and that's part of the company culture. Um, the second one is REI. I'm really a proud of that company. Um, 
because they wrote a statement uh, when George Floyd passed away, Black Lives Matter, and they have done a good job um, updating their progress over the past two and a half years, right? Um, I do want to say this because small business owners struggle with being diverse or diverse marketing. Um, if Because you don't have the money that a Nike or REI might have to do an ad campaign, but you can get out and serve your community, right? So how can you volunteer? How can you be a mentor? Um, what organizations can you donate to? Maybe it's the Paralympics, right? Uh, can you create a $500,000 or a $1,000 scholarship um, to a certain diverse demographic? So there's other ways to participate without having a lavish marketing campaign. And if you can't find the right people, if you're, feel, if you're realizing that all the people around you are just like you, that's that's certainly a sign to branch out a little bit maybe and maybe do that extra oh. work and dig a little and say why is my world so homogenous yeah i mean we often we all have to stretch ourselves right um even like this is the beauty of having a platform like we all have something you know even if you have a podcast it's like okay um let me tap into my network's network <laughs> and who can i bring on the show um because we're all learning, we're all in different parts of our journey, and we're all learning in the process. So to your point before about how Ben and Jerry's, they're selling ice cream, but they're speaking out on all sorts of social issues. They literally always, always have. That's been a part of them from the beginning. They've gotten in a lot of trouble with consumers and even with their parent company by sticking to their guns and their values, which is huge. REI, as you said, they put out a statement um, when the George Floyd murder happened. And so this brings me to something that really came to a head in 2020, especially, and it continues to, um, to have ramifications for brands, which is the prevailing wisdom for most brands used to be Brands don't, you know, consumers don't want to hear about where the gap stands on racism. They just want a sweatshirt. It used to be, in order to be seen as professional, you didn't wade into those things that were irrelevant to you or that seemed like irrelevant to what you were doing as a brand. And really reached ahead in 2020, was already happening and is not going away anytime soon. Now people want brands to have a stance, to have values, to realize that not only are there consumers, people who these issues are impacting, but so are their internal people. So how can brands deal with that in a way that's organic? Because some brands, it does come across as pandering. Some brands are like, you know what? I don't need to hear two months after George Floyd was yeah. murdered, that this company is just posting a black square and saying Black Lives Matter. So how can you do it in a way that, you know, because the expectations are different on brands now. It is. So this is an interesting question in the sense, I'm going to say this, and people might not like me. I think, uh, one, your intention has to meet impact, hopefully, right? Uh, two, I do think a lot of brands are heading in the right direction, but it's up to the employees to hold them accountable and then the consumers, right? So a good example is Adidas. In 2020, they came out with a BLMN statement and the employees were like, no, 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 no. I've been discriminated against. And a bunch of employees came together, uh, filed complaints, on a particular HR person and that lady had to resign, 
right? As a consumer, I, I don't know what's going on within the cor- corporation, right? So well, thanks to Twitter, we do. What, <laughs> right? And maybe People are speaking right. out and thank goodness we that's, have that transparency. <laughs> that's the thing, right? So yes, social media is a variable too, right? So employees have to hold the company accountable. And that's what I like about REI because they've been doing quarterly updates about we got more black employees, we got more black and brown influencers. Like they have been very thorough beyond the statement. And then of course, as a consumer, okay, well, how do you want to spend your money? Where do you want to spend your money? Um, And, you know, you, you have that decision as well. So. Yeah, I was talking to uh, somebody the other day who was saying in their company, they they want to hire more, you know, greater diversity of employees, but they're in tech and they're like, a lot of the good developers just happen to be white men. And one thing that I said to them, I said, well, are you investing in programs that are training the next generation? You know, things like Girls Who Code, you know, there's a whole bunch of organizations, the African-American Marketing Association. <laughs> Is a great place to look if you're having yeah. trouble finding those people. They're out there. It's just there's less visibility because how do you get visibility? You get visibility by getting opportunities. Well, how do you get opportunities? By being yeah. visible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why I say you have to stretch yourself, right? So, you know, what schools are you recruiting for from? What internships are you informing these historical Black colleges and universities um, and Hispanic serving institutions about your internships, about your job opportunities. Um, this is free advice. I tell a lot of companies maybe you need to start a fellowship program, right? Um, so little things like that to um, create and possibly improve your talent pipeline. And then, of course, when you get to mid-level and executive level, definitely partnering with um specialized organizations that are aligned with your industry as well as your mission. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much for all of this, Michelle. This has been incredibly eye-opening. It's, it's conversations that people need to have. And I feel like weren't had as much. And as you've seen, you know, when you noticed that companies were more open to this and more, you know, trying and failing <laughs> around 2018, yeah. It's just continuing. So I think it's great that this is is more of an initiative um, and that you've built your career around it. Um, tell us where we can find out more about you and we can where we can find out more about what you care about. Yeah, thank you for that. You're a great host. I love your energy, by the way. <laughs> um, you can find me, uh, my first and last name, michellegomay.com. You can find me on LinkedIn for the professional stuff. Instagram for the cool stuff and Facebook for the real stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, and you know what, just a quickie at the end, if you could give one tip on what to do to increase, um, to increase your brand's inclusivity and one tip on what not to do, (laughs) what would you say? Oh God. Okay. So one tip on what to do, um, Hire diverse talent on your marketing team. Uh, What not to do, don't assume you know all diverse groups and communities of color. So, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michelle. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. 
And as I said at the top of the show, I'm Christine Gritman. I'm doing the show Let's Talk About Brand every single week. So definitely tune in next week where we can hear from another brilliant marketer, or possibly even not marketer, about what we can do to build our brands right. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.